This is Southeast Asia Crossroads, a podcast from the Center for Southeast Asian Studies at Northern Illinois University. I'm your host, Eric Jones. In this episode, I sit down with outspoken Burmese activist and poet, Coco Tet. And as a footnote, I want to apologize in advance for the sound cutting out abruptly at the end of the interview. So welcome, everyone, to this latest episode of Southeast Asia Crossroads. Uh, I'm Eric Jones, your host, and with me is Burmese poet Coco Tet. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. He's here uh, with a whole host of uh, uh, scholars and artists who are um, here for the Burma Studies Conference, and so we're glad to have you uh, in our uh, little town of DeKalb. But you have a couple connections to uh, to DeKalb, so some 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 friends that you have also. Uh, his book, Bones Will Crow, was published uh, by NIU Press. And tell us about the award that, that uh, it received. Uh, well, we, my co-editor, James Byrne, and I received a pen translation award for Bones Will Crow, which basically is a grant to promote the book. So with that money, we were able to invite two Burmese poets to UK, yeah, at that time, 2012, and yeah, do some readings in right, UK. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Right, good use, of the, good use of your grant there, so congratulations. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and also the, uh, the Burden of Being Burmese um, is, uh, is also a book that he is, uh, or collection that he is um, uh, known for, as, as well as uh, many other poems uh, that he has penned. Um, so again, thanks, thanks for being with us. Thank and, you. uh, maybe we can start. Do you want to, uh, do you want to read something for us and may as a, as a starting point and then we can talk? Definitely. Why not? Sure. This poem I'm going to read is from my collection, uh, The Burden of Being Burmese. And this is a road poem. I had not been in the U.S. when I wrote that poem, but I was imagining myself driving, doing a very, you know, <laughs> uh, long road journey across the U.S. Had you been to the U.S. before? No. no okay, yeah. so this was this was like an imagination Imagine, experience. Imagined uh, journey. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Had you been Had you been abroad before? Yes. But just yes. not in the it's not in the U.S. Yeah, I yeah. lived in Europe before. So okay. Okay. Yeah, like uh, 2000 to 2016, I was in Europe. So, but U.S., this is my first visit, and I'm very happy to be here. Well, let's begin. Bullhorns in the passing lane. Right behind me, in the blind spot, someone sniffing my tail. Since when have you been in my shadow? Discreet as death, silent and invisible. Go ahead, there is the yoke. Step back, the cane strokes. Drones overhead, dread underground. There are unexploded ordnance. Your shrills thrill no one. Who has pickled your sons? Who has stolen your pickles? 
who has designed your flip-flops, who you slept with last night, who you vote for tomorrow, who wants to read your bumper stickers, who cares? Don't come too close. Keep a safe distance. You don't want your nose to bleed. You don't want burning bitumen on your belly. My road is not car worthy. My car is not road worthy. My brake lights do not flash. How is my driving, sir? I have a defeal in pragmatics. In this land of half-cocked guns, every vehicle is horse-powered, every road leads to the abode of kings, every moth mound is gilded and worshipped, every money, monkey money-mad. You don't have a satellite navigator, you don't have a tall-tail indicator, you don't have a retro-reflector, you don't have a rear-view mirror, you don't have a proximity sensor, can you really see the road ahead? With your eyes on your temples, as far as the Lord of the Lane is concerned, there is no slowdown, there is no give way, there is no turn back. His dodge may be a go-around. His gear irreversible. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I like the like the imagery. Did you did you were you aware when you wrote that that there's uh, you know there's this uh, on commercial vehicles there's this how's my driving uh, uh, sticker with a telephone number that you can call oh, if yes. you complain. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. uh, there are some taxis. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was actually uh, thinking of probably I was thinking of Taxi Driver, the film. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Also, yeah, you know. And also many taxi drivers in Bama Myanmar, they, they really, you know, they are road hawks and they, they are very competitive. <laughs> and yeah. Right, right, right. Uh, so how tell us about the the writing process. How does um how does it usually work for you? Does it uh that ideas form and then and then you put uh put sort of like concrete thoughts to them or you or how how does the how does the muse kind of strike uh the muse usually strikes in the middle of the night do you keep a notepad when i am half asleep half dead half dreaming half wanting to have sex or well, while having sex <laughs> <laughs> Understandable, <laughs> inspiring, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, and so, is it something that uh, if you don't capture it at that moment and get it down, that it's going to flee from you, or is it something that kind of once that idea sticks with you, you can't shake it until you put it down? One, once an idea yeah takes root, I can shake it shake it off. I just have to you know develop that into a piece of poem. That's how I I work work yeah. Uh, yeah. And I know some. I know some artists feel like, um, and writers that it's a, they're compelled to write. Yeah. That it has to come out. Is that is yeah. that what it's like for you? It is usually. It is like that. I I uh, I would have, and um, you know, I am not one of the writers who is. Uh, 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 a I'm not the type of disciplined writer who can just sit down from nine to five or whatever and write. You know. 
I am the type of writer who only can write when I have an urge to write. I still do that. But I don't know if I should change my ways. But I still, yeah, <laughs> need an urge to write to be able to write a poem or even prose. Some, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I... Uh, is it does it is it seasonal? Is it sort of like this? Uh, how t- how often does the muse come? Is it daily and uh, but only for a brief moment? Is it for a week and then a week on week off? Is it like you know, monsoon non monsoon? When when does how does it uh, um, inspire inspiration hit? Well, it's it's a very uh, uh, often you know. Very often, uh, every day, almost every day, I, I have an urge to write. But not every arch is, you know, written down. So is that is that for logistics or just because it's maybe not worthy of? Sometimes I just yeah I just I just think oh I want to write this down but then okay it's not worth it <laughs> I get I get really lazy yeah <laughs> yeah yeah this everybody yeah. everybody struggles with um, one of the one of the panels that uh, I went to at the Burma conference they were about music they were thinking about. Every for the outsider, they want to interpret um, every gesture in 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 Burma as political, everything as resistance, everything as um, you know, in somehow uh, in opposition to that. And uh, you know, when you say that out loud, it it sort of strikes you that that's not only probably not the case. <laughs> certainly, um, that's a pretty narrow interpretation of if you if you most of your Creative uh, directions in writing. Where, where, where do they come from? Where, what is the what is the animus? Do you think that uh, that is kind of most captures your um, writing attention? Um, I react a lot to the sense of injustice. Yeah, and also my own lo- lo- locally, nationally. Globally, globally. Okay. Of course, that includes Parma as well. And, and of course, also my own insecurity and fear. Kobadet, could you give us another poem? Sure, sure. I'd be delighted. Fuck me. And tied. Are you one of those who will import our rice so you can bomb our village? You believe in the charity of your moneyed class. Now that my body is stuck in your bottleneck, there is no spillover effect. Save your spam. I don't miss trains, they never come. I no longer trust the public ride. Faced with the Leviathan, I'll be playing possum. Lying low like a benthic fish, if not committing another suicide. According to the Buddha, hunger is a hot potato. You always want to throw at someone else. You are the one who gets burned. In your diplomatic ditum, there is no such thing as mitta, D 
disinterested love. Rain on a sunny day brings prowlers. You don't lecture an navigation to a crocodile king. You don't lead a monk in the way of scripture. Your language suits you smart. Your rhetoric shapes your mouth. Your discourse waxes your mustache. Your sweet monologues move your lips, mint your tongue, and cheapen your kisses into official papers. If to you, to anti means to fuck. You don't have to anti me, just fuck me and tied. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, you'll be proud to know I've been always hoping we'd get our first uh, explicit label warning in the uh, in the iTunes, and so we finally got it. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is this in uh, Bird and Bean Burmese? Yes. This, yes. This, these are from this piece. Yeah. Yeah. These are from the yeah, Bird and Bean Burmese. I thought yeah. so. Where does the um, uh, where did you come up with the title? Is that uh, yeah? I guess yeah. How did that come about? Well, that's an interesting uh, question because, uh, well, it it is about many things. First of all, it's about you know this Fifty Shades of Grey thing, <laughs> 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 and and of course in Burma when you is when that popular? Is that is that is that has been translated into Burmese? No, no, not yet. <laughs> but it's quite quite known. Yeah, and. And the other thing, uh, actually, to be honest, uh, the other thing really is we wear, you know, sarong in Burma. Right. So if you want to have sex with someone, you have to untie the sarong first. <laughs> okay. So. <laughs> so it's just, it's a logistical question as well. <laughs> you, you've yeah. got to untie. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there, there are layers of yeah, meanings to that. Yeah. Right, right, right. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, the idea is like, how to rescue a nation from, you know, from out of the poverty pit, out of the pit of poverty. And, and yeah, and if, or is it even helpful to do that, intervention and things like that? Yeah. So my poems, I would like to say that these are, also personal and at the same time political. So I play with the ideas of, you know, this can be a person as well as a country and yeah. Right. Yeah. So it works on it works on various levels yeah, of the, yeah, the, yeah. the So who, wh what um what is Myanmar in this in that in this poem? <laughs> uh it's not necessarily Myanmar. That could be Syria or any any oh, okay. any other place, you know. Any other place. But then I also use a notion of mitta, which is a Buddhist concept, M-E-T-T-A, mitta. And a very learned monk explained to me that, you know, I asked, because mitta, if you, if you go to Wikipedia, mitta means a lot of things. And it is almost, you know, a concept, uh, a very complex notion. Uh, but then he gave me a simple, a very straightforward uh, answer when I asked this question. Uh, I, uh, what is mitta? He says, it is disinterested love. So, mm. and, and, and yeah, kind of love, you know. It's, it's like, I think it's the highest 
novelist, novelist uh, form of love. When you love someone and you can be detached from that one at the same time as well. Yeah. Right. And you're not doing it because it's you're getting something out of it. You're yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You are yeah, it's it's yeah. You don't expect anything from that person. Even recognition or whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's hard to do. <laughs> yeah, it is very hard for human human psyche, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, right. We crave we crave that validation. Yeah, or and reciprocity. Right. We always even if we don't want material reciprocity, we always want some recognition of what we you know. Yeah. But sometimes we are capable of that too. I would say like in some conflict situation you just didn't even think you act, you know, you wouldn't think you right. act and you just take the bullet for someone else. But you don't you hardly know, in fact. Right. Yeah, then yeah. So that kind of situation exists also but in, in, in some yeah. Some yeah. Maybe maybe with family and friends who like we we do things and we don't always get appreciated but we we do it. it yeah. like we, we, we approach that at times. But yeah, yeah. Also, they are they are gestures that we often do, like opening door for someone. You don't really. Ex- it's, it's like you know, opening doors. It's like it's like disinterested, just you know, charity, right? It's, or maybe it's it's ingrained. It's a cultural thing, you know. But then then again, of course, you will remove a rock from from the road if it's blocking the way. Right. And, you don't have to talk about that, you you know, and then that's something that you do. You do it out of you know, love for the other passengers, or first for yourself, but then also it helps the other users of that road. Then you do it alone, and then you remove the rock from the road, and then you don't even talk about it, but you are just happy with yourself with this kind of act. I think I'm really interested into that that notion of mitta, yeah. Yeah, well, well, tell me when you figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) It's a a tough nut to crack. Um, Yeah, yeah. When did you you know that you were going to be uh, a writer or a poet? Um, I, well, I, I... I never know. <laughs> I still don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still don't know. <laughs> it, but it feels like it was just what you need to do, maybe or not. You don't know if it's what you're supposed to do, but what you need to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When, when, at, at, were you were you always writing in in, in like from uh, uh, in in primary school in in when when did kind of the bug? Of course, bite yeah, to, yeah. Uh, in primary school, um, I was writing and also writing poems as a, as a kid. But they were just, you know, yeah, but every kid would do that. I uh, mean. On, on your own or for school assignment? Uh, for schools and on my own as well. Uh, 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 but I think every, every kid would do that. Uh, but then I would say that, you know, if you call yourself a poet after you turn 40, you are a poet <laughs> because everyone can be a poet, <laughs> yeah, when they are growing up. And everyone can write a good poem, in fact, uh, I mean, once in a lifetime, you know. But, yeah. But then you still. To do it in a sustained way. Yeah, to do it in a sustained way after, you know, that 
sustained way and also in a very adolescent way <laughs> and immature way, even if you are 40 or 60 or whatever, <laughs> yeah. then you're a poet. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you, do you look back on some of your earlier stuff and, um, does it, do you, do you like reading it? Does it make you cringe? Like, oh, I'm so young. Uh, how does, yeah, what's your relationship my, with your own yeah, work? Yeah, of course, some of my earlier writings uh, are cringe-worthy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to look at them. Uh, for instance, I published uh, some chapbooks uh, uh, at the university in Rangoon, uh, Rangoon Institute of Technology in the early 1990s, uh, 1995, 1996. And when I look, I wrote, at that time I wrote a few poems in English as well. When I wrote, uh, when I look at those poems, some of those poems are really cringe-worthy, and I really <laughs> want <laughs> So, yeah. So, and, uh, yeah, that is, that is it. And then I had, I also talk about this uh, feeling of disowning, you know, disowning your own writings and some, yeah, stuff like that. I'm also, yeah. Is it, is it hard for you to to read reviews of your of your poetry or to, to to have it discussed in an analytical way? Does it feel... I know a lot of musicians feel that way about their music. It's it's close to them. They have to get it out, but they they don't even... Even if it's good praise, they really don't need it or want to hear it, necessarily. What, what's your relationship to the reader response? Um, uh, I appreciate... Yeah... I appreciate reviews, uh, even you know, critical and 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 Wagadis type of reviews. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not very sensitive about about my poems being you know stripped off or or dissected or analyzed in a critical way, and I am often amused by by, by some of the uh, some of the reviews as well. Yeah. Do they, uh, you know, a lot of your poems encapsulate a lot of imagery and a lot of um, uh, symbolism. Uh, is it amusing the 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 things that people imagine your poems to be about when they when they may they might not know what it's actually about and the, but thing they project onto what a particular poem is about. It depends. Yeah, it depends. Sometimes they are way off. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sometimes they are. But then I try to be, you know, as a poet, uh, ambiguity is a virtue in poetry, I think. So some people, I mean, no, of course, even even myself uh, couldn't sometimes nail my own ambiguity. Uh -huh. So, yeah, it will be hard. You said you started uh, your sort of some early poems in the, in the 90s. This was at uh, university. What did you study at? Uh, you were at Rangoon? Yeah, I was studying engineering, civil engineering at uh, Rangoon Institute of Technology. Did you like it? Uh, no. I, <laughs> <laughs> I failed uh, in my first year, so I, I had to repeat it. And then I failed in my third year, then I had to repeat it. Oh, no. So... And of course, I, I did. Was your, did your parents want you to be an engineer? Or is something you thought you, that would be a good idea? Where did that yeah, idea come some, from? Uh, well, 
Well, of course, it's like it's like uh, from my family as well. But I I didn't say no because it was a good university to go to at that time, and a cool place to be. <laughs> sure. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I just obliged, and and yeah, of course. But uh, I was just busy with. Uh, poetry and a lot of you know extra. Were your family professionals? What did they do career-wise? Um, you mean my parents? Yeah. Um, it's not really. Well, my father was a technician. You know, lathe machine. He okay. Would, yeah. So, in in my book, there's a poem uh, about my childhood where you know when I was. Young, my my dad would carry me on his shoulders and brought me to his workshop, and then I was learning how to write and read. And at that time, so he would sharpen my pencils with his lathe machine, which is huge, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. O- overkill. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I had really very nice, very sharp. Pencils, as a, as a <laughs> yeah, yeah. Machine grade Machi- sharpness, yeah, yeah. yeah. Industrial sharpness. <laughs> you can attest your uh, your 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 sharpness of your poetry to the yeah. sharpness of your pencil. Yeah. Um, so what what uh, how did how did it change from uh, from civil engineering? Was it uh, well, I I'm I'm bad at engineering, so I need to write. Was that 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 writing bug always? Haunting you? Um, how I? Well, I wasn't really studying. You know, I was I was only writing, reading other stuff. So, yeah, that also explains why I failed twice. So yeah, <laughs> and then also it was very exciting to be at the university in the early 1990s because the 1990s were the most repressive. You know times in Burma, the security-wise, it was very, very repressive, and we... What was it like? It was, so what was it like being a student yeah. at, at, the, at the university at that time? Yeah, it is very uh, interesting because after 1988, they shut down the universities for a long time. So when they reopened the universities, um, the semesters were reduced, you know, the, the year... Usually, you every uh, one academic year will be like you know here how many semesters, four semesters, right? At, right, at most two two regular semesters and then yeah. maybe two short summer spring semesters. Yeah. Or something, yeah. So let's say we have like eight regular semesters in one academic year, like three times more than hmm. the regular yeah academic semester. So every uh, like then of course the result was. You know, the compressed kind of curriculum where you only learn the nuts and bolts of engineering or mathematics or whatever. And you were always busy, you know, people, uh, students, engineering students and medical students, you know, they didn't have time. They didn't have a life at all. They were always busy reading, reading, reading. Do you think that was by design? That was by design, yeah. Because uh, they kept, they wanted to keep us busy but i wasn't really busy so i was just <laughs> <laughs> you ignored your you ignored your classes and yeah yeah <laughs> i was just having fun and and yeah and interesting times also around that time there was this discussion 
very much hype about postmodernism okay and postmodernist movement you know uh how did how did uh, did you know obviously part of the repression was that there's a lot of control on on books and and public published materials what was allowed in and what was out was that something that the censors well this is like you know pie in the sky kind of stuff they they didn't mind uh coming through or or how did you get your hands on this this stuff well we published simi's dead you know simi's dead is like underground publications okay. uh, that we didn't care about the censorship or whatever and then we just on the ca- on compass on compass materials on compass uh is this for some of your early poetry yeah, yeah yeah so we we just uh published them illegally uh like mimeograph or yeah, yeah yeah usually like that and then we just distributed them among you know ourselves within ourselves yeah was there was there worry about uh getting getting caught or exposing it distributing it too broadly so that you might get in trouble yes uh i mean there was a whole you know um that was done very secretly so the whole thing was you know and then of course we we really feared uh, of being arrested and whatever but then i'm sure they knew it too but they tolerated you know uh our you our can't arrest everyone yeah yeah <laughs> uh as long as you know well also because that is poetry you know and and, and poetry which you can really argue against anything even if they say this is not political we are not attacking government no, that's not what i mean but still it was right the uh, the second meaning could be that but yeah. it could it could be disguised yeah yeah so still there were people who went to jail for illegal publications uh, before us and after us so i was yeah yeah and even for a poem uh, a poet was arrested uh, uh, even after the transition you know the poet right uh, mao songka his name is mao songka he was arrested for writing a very short poem and uh, yeah would you like to hear the poem yeah i translated the poem and there's an article in the new yorker about his trial uh, the bizarre trial of a burmese poet in myanmar so his name is mong songka and that happened quite recently because after the election when you know burma was supposed to be moving toward democracy and there are very very few poets uh, who have been jailed for their poetry and, and the first one well there were several you know poets uh and uh, monsonka is the last one of course and and he was detained and he, uh, his trial was going on for 6 months so he was released in may this year may after he uh, he was given 6 months uh jail sentence so he was released because he was in already in custody for 6 months yeah okay so, yeah, so time served yeah was yeah time served yeah. yeah so yeah and the name of the poem is image 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 on my manhood rests a tattooed portrait of mr president <laughs> my beloved found that out after we wed she was utterly disgusted inconsolable that's a poem 
So that that uh, that landed landed him in prison. That's six lines. Each line was like a month. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's a, a month in prison for each line. Yeah. Those are costly word by the word. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So so it, it was probably the blatant kind of like this this vulgar you know perceived kind of um, uh, attack. That do you think that's what yeah. that's what spurred them? Because you know, because I can think of my, I can think that are mu- think of things critiques that are much more um, um, pointed yeah. or right. Because the the president, the first pre- I mean, Utensei of Myanmar, who you know who was elected after two thousand ten election, uh, he he was very much um, a dodgy, shady character, and of course, people in there's a new Bamislang even now, Mister President. That means like you're dodgy. <laughs> You're not reliable, Mr. President. What's the uh, yeah. what's the slang in Burmese? Tamraji. Uh, Tamraji. Okay. Yeah. So if you show if you show up late to a meeting or whatever, oh, Mr. President. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a well, and, and so what? To, and and you were uh, you were friends? Is that how you came to, to translate it? Uh, this poem. Yeah, I translated that. Yeah. Right. It's my translation. Southeast Asia Crossroads would like to thank Michael McSweeney for production assistance and the Thai Steel Ensemble for today's music. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>